Hello, and welcome to the Green Tea Party, where we discuss conservative solutions to environmental problems. I'm Hannah Rogers. My name is Zach Torpy. Together, we will guide you through complex issues and provide strategies to address them. All while remaining faithful to our conservative values. Trust me, it'll be a good time. Yeah, it's a party, so grab your mugs and we're going to pour the tea. So Hannah, what kind of art do you have, do you like to collect or have in your house? (laughs) Okay, so I actually have quite the art collection because... About a year ago, I was having a mental breakdown. It was in an art shop. So naturally, when you're having a mental breakdown, money doesn't exist. So I bought like 12 paintings oh my straight God. up. Um, yeah, I did. <laughs> but, and so I, I bought a bunch of paintings and I was at this art shop. And so all my paintings are very like beautiful, impressionist flower paintings. I have... A bunch of them from like local artists in Utah, a few from like art schools in Europe. And I really enjoy the artwork because it just makes my house look gorgeous and it feels good. Uh, Most of them were pretty cheap. When I say about 12 paintings, I mean like these paintings were probably like $150 each. They were not hardly the kind of paintings that some very wealthy person could afford. <laughs> they just make my house look beautiful and artwork is is best. How do is the best? How do you feel about it? Yeah. I'd use artwork to add a splash of color into my boring rental apartment, which is just plain gray walls. So I need like some color to look at. So usually I like, uh, I have some landscapes of like the mountains or uh, rivers and fall. I don't have as many art, as much art as you apparently, but uh, I enjoy getting yeah. the, the splash of color in there to brighten it up. Well, I should also say some of the artwork that I have in my house is inherited. So I have a few pieces of artwork that I've inherited from like my uncle's second great aunt or whatever, you know, just from it's in the family. So it's nice though, because I walk into my house and the outside of my house, no offense to my landlord again, the outside of my house is just ugly. It's so ugly. And (laughs) so when I come inside my house, I feel much better about living there because it is gorgeous because of all these gorgeous paintings. So speaking of walking to my house, I have this really nice, beautiful bouquet of flowers. It's kind of like a direct painting. If you know the difference between like a glaze and a direct painting, direct painting is like kind of more like the Vincent van Gogh style. But what the artist did was she had pressed flowers that she layered within the oil paint. So there's like actual flower petals that are like kind of popping out of the painting out of, off of the canvas. And it is, I mean, it is really cool. <laughs> I really like this painting. And I remember I saw it at this antique shop and me and the art dealer guy are like besties now because I spent so much time at his place that he like gave me a discount on it. And it is so wonderful to have in my house. It's got like a big pink background background with these big white roses and this kind of like see-through green vase. It's just a gorgeous piece. And I instinctually knew that I just had to buy it. So Hannah, how would you feel if I came into your house and threw some uh, tomato soup onto your art? <laughs> oh my gosh, I would think that you cared a lot about climate change and that I should, you know, stop. Like you, Then you would glue your hand to the wall, right? Oh my God, yeah, yeah. I glue my hand, glue my feet to the tennis court. What? Wait, someone glued their feet to a tennis court? Yeah, the, uh, what was it? The, the last US Open? Oh no. They had to like cut, cut them out of the tennis court. Did they cut their feet off? <laughs> no just the ground <laughs> oh my gosh also sorry if you hear a cat purring or meows i have a very needy walter cat sitting on my lap 
yeah, I mean, I would be a little bit confused because I don't, I wouldn't really see how it's connected to climate change. But I mean, I guess if if we're going to talk about the elephant in the room, it's the stunt that the Extinction Rebellion, was it Extinction Rebellion or who was it? I think it's a few different groups have done this now. I think it's Extinction Rebellion and Last Generation have done the art things. I'm not sure who did the um, the tennis court gluing themselves down. I mean, to the average person, you might think, oh man, this does not seem at all connected to climate change. But I suppose what they're doing is they're going to these really famous pieces of artwork where they know they can get a lot of attention. And also this artwork is kind of a symbol of like wealth inequality. And, you know, wealth inequality does have a huge role in our ability to mitigate the anthropogenic climate crisis. Also, it's kind of like a feedback loop, a positive feedback loop where wealth inequality causes climate change, climate change exacerbates wealth inequality. And I feel like if they went and destroyed like a very wealthy person's piece of artwork, it's kind of like somewhat symbolic of that struggle, that class struggle. What is worth more? Art or life? Is it worth more than food? Worth more than justice? Are you more concerned about the protection of a painting or the protection of our planet and people? The cost of living crisis is part of the cost of oil prices. Fuel is unaffordable to millions of cold, hungry families. They can't even afford to heat a tin of soup. But I still don't think the average person gets it. Is that fair to say, Zach? If I was finally in Paris at the Louvre, I think I would want to enjoy the art, and I would be rather upset if someone came and ruined it. I think it's a hard connection to make the climate and the um, devastation and like ruining artwork. Even though they have not ruined artwork, I think everyth- everything they've thrown tomato soup on or damaged has had like glass over it, so it's been preserved. But it's still a, a far leap to draw that to the environment. It just seems like it imposes on the average person's life, whereas they should be protesting to politicians and to actual corporations. I feel like everyone knows climate, knows about climate change now. Everyone has an opinion on climate change. You don't need to make a big scene and draw attention and social media clicks to be like, climate change. Like We all know about it. I think there's a better way to communicate the message that they're, that they're missing. Well, I mean, I disagree with you, actually, Zach. I think Ooh. that... There definitely is a better way of communicating that kind of message. But I don't think a lot of people in the climate activism, you know, kind of community, it feel like people are taking climate change seriously, right? I mean, you know, every year that we have one of these UN conferences on climate change, they, you know, up the amount of degrees of change and of warming that the UN deems acceptable. And I think that's hard for people who are constantly engaged in the fight against climate change to swallow. I think that the kind of like visceral anger that people feel is absolutely valid. I mean, we should be angry. We should be upset about the kind of circumstance that we're inheriting. It's not fair to future generations or to us, but I just don't necessarily know if channeling that anger into destroying artwork and pulling those kinds of stunts is as effective as other ways of being an activist. Is it the most productive and effective way to use your energy as an environmentalist in forwarding the environmental cause and spreading the message and showing people what to do? So what do you think people should do, Zach? My, my number one thing is you should 
get informed about the issues. You should act locally, think globally. So you should get involved in your local community, find local environmental issues. Protesting at local environmental issues would be more effective and more in the control of the actual politicians you're reaching out to than um, protesting climate change as a whole is a rather difficult message to get to, especially because you need to do that on a national level. You need a full movement. And for the U.S., we would need to be in Washington reaching out to our our politicians at a national level to actually enact some change. But I think you could definitely reach out to your local politicians much more easily and get get some input on a factory or a plant that's dumping chemicals inappropriately or polluting too much and asking them to take some action and try to pull that reel them in and control that a little bit. Yeah, one thing that bothers me a lot about this is, so I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but I used to work for the U.S. Senator, Senator Romney and Senator Lee. When I was working there, my job was to respond to constituents, talk to constituents, and then also a lot of things with like casework and policy. But a lot of my time was spent talking to constituents. So almost everything that the senator you know, heard from their constituents, I read first before the senator did because I had to document it because the senator just doesn't have time for that. I never heard anyone say anything about climate change the entire time I was there. And I was there for months. I remember every day I'd go into work and I'd just be like, gosh, I really hope someone says something about climate change on the phone today or in the mail or, you know, just faxes us something about climate change at least. You know what? People were so caught up. They got their knickers in a bunch over other things that I felt like, you know, they're important, but I'm a young person. I'm in these communities where people are really nervous and anxious about climate change, but no one was talking to their lawmakers about it. And you know who is talking to their lawmakers about climate change? Oil companies. Those are the people <laughs> That's who it. are talking to your lawmakers. And I know that because I have witnessed it. And um, when I go to testify on the Hill um, with CCL, it's me and maybe three or four other environmentalists, maybe a few other people, but then it's corporate interest. And it is sad because people complain and complain about how their lawmakers aren't doing anything about climate change. But what are they supposed to think? I mean, I was working there and I thought, man, gosh, if I was a senator and everything that I saw about climate change was absolutely dead silent... I would think that nobody cared about this, you know? If they have no policies that support any environmental actions or climate change and they keep getting voted in, what are they supposed to think? I'm being rewarded for not thinking about climate change, so why am I going to turn away the money that I'm getting handed from oil? <laughs> Absolutely. The other thing is, I worked for a organization called ALEC, or the... American Legislative Exchange Council. And what ALEC functioned as was a think tank that would disseminate corporate-backed laws. And I worked on their environmental task force. And what they would do is they'd go to corporations and say, okay, we're thinking about laws around the environment. Like, what interests do you want us to deliver to city and county and state-level localities? And so they didn't really focus on the federal government hardly at all, but they really did focus on these you know, city and state and county level governments. And I will tell you that I witnessed a lot of these organizations and companies like getting their interests represented in front of your city and your state and your county. And hardly anyone from those cities, states, counties were going to represent their interests at all. And so when it came to things about the environment, it would just be like, 
oh, you know, this oil company wants this law to change in a small district in North Dakota. And then there would be there would be hardly any constituents there to actually represent themselves. So the only representation that people were really seeing were from these oil companies who have a vested interest in precluding climate action from happening. It, it's hard for the average person to keep up with every law and every single thing that's going on in their local community, especially because you don't get the uh, information of what's going on on a daily basis from your, your um from your like house or your senate. It takes a lot of time and effort to disseminate all this information all the time. I mean, and gosh, and it's boring. Most <laughs> yeah, no one wants to read forty pages oh. of notes of a Senate hearing. Yeah, it's yes, not exactly, exactly thrilling stuff. Of course, if you're a young person and if you really care about climate change, you have the choice between going to a hearing on net metering in Iowa or, you know, posting a flaming, angry message on social media and picketing. You're going to choose the one that feels a little bit more like you're doing something because the other one is so boring, right? Yeah, yeah. It's easier to post on social media and just get involved that way than it is to actually know the know the laws, know know what the politicians are doing and going out and vote. Yeah, definitely. I think voting is probably one of the biggest things that you can do to represent your interests around climate. But that's something that I don't see a lot of people do. And this this episode, just to let people know, is not to say that you shouldn't go out and pick it and is not to say that you shouldn't post on social media. What we're critiquing here is when you do those kinds of actions, like post on social media and pick it, you have to be... You have to back it up. Yeah, you have to back it up. You have to, if you care about climate change, you should care about talking to your legislators. You should care about voting. You should care about being a part of bigger organizations. A lot of this activism is self-congratulatory. It is there to be about the activist rather than about the movement and the goals of the movement as a whole. If you guys ever watched Bill Burnham's Inside Special, whenever I think about activism, there's something that he says that always like rings true to me. Basically, Bill Burnham is saying that he's just trying to be a better person by being an activist. And I feel that like by being an activist, you are trying to be a better person. But why do people insist on seeing every political conflict through the myopic lens of our own self-actualization. And I feel like that's a really interesting thing to say because I often see activists making the activism less about what they care about and more about like, oh, you know, I'm an activist and I, I do this and I have a very aesthetically pleasing social media that is all about climate change. It's like, no, this is not, that's not what it's about. It's about, you know, we're all in this together and you got to be, you got to have a little bit of integrity when it comes to your messaging and what you actually do. Yeah, you have to be self-responsible in your own area. You don't need to be broadcasting it constantly. Yeah. One of my favorite lyrics I always like to recite is, real G's move in silence like lasagna. You don't need the world to know what you're doing. You need to just do the work and work on your on yourself and your local area and improve it with your friends, with your group. You can go out and like clean up parks, go out and clean up uh, beaches, rivers. I used to do a, like a environmental testing on the Hudson River, testing the water quality to mm-hmm. get a better understanding of what was ha- what was being polluted into it. Yeah. This is one thing that really loud like very intense kind of activism does is it makes people feel like their contributions are insignificant. Also the enormity of the problem makes people feel that way. 
when you open social media and you see someone, you know, throwing tomato soup on a Van Gogh or doing something that gets a lot of attention, it makes you feel like, well, maybe my contribution isn't really that worthwhile because it's not getting a lot of attention. And that kind of mentality across millions and thousands of people is what gets us into these kinds of problems in the first place. And so I want people to feel like they don't have to have their contribution be witnessed by other people and congratulate and get receive some sort of, you know, congratulations or praise for their contribution in order for it to be valuable. I mean, less carbon in the atmosphere is less carbon in the atmosphere. And we're all going to benefit from that no matter who gets the attention from it. Yeah. I think the protesting and activism is definitely like it's on a spectrum of just being very, um, social media, very, very verbal, very protest and, then there's much more actionable items such as like going out and doing projects like uh, joining the billion oyster project in New York city. Um, but there's also groups in the middle. You have the sunrise movement who went and protested at, um, at the Capitol getting in politicians hallways, just mess mucking up their days and making sure that they knew that they cared about the environment, that young people want to see them take the environment seriously and start taking climate change seriously. And then there's movements like, uh, the citizens climate lobby who have written down policies have actual ideas and go to these politicians and present them and be like can you get behind this can you support these kind of ideas what can we do to help get this on your agenda absolutely citizens climate lobby is a remarkable organization five stars for citizen climate lobby and i highly recommend you visit cclusa.org um, forward slash conservatives. If you're interested in getting involved with that organization, just going to plug them right here. Um, but one thing that I really admire about their approach is they let you um, kind of like find your own role within the organization, figure out who you are and what do you have to offer? Where can you best serve? You know, if you're a mom and you care about your kid's future, like they have ways to platform you and support you in your role in the climate mitigation efforts. Or if you're a business owner, or if you're, you know, a blue collar worker, or if you're a farmer, whatever you are, they have resources to help people find their role. It's not the glamorous kind of activism, because CCL is too down to earth for that. That's what makes them so effective. Because they're not there for attention. They're there to find solutions, get the solutions on the table, on the desk in front of a lawmaker and to get those lawmakers to care about them. Yeah. I just think it's important to really get involved with your local politics and get your um, views and your wants communicated. Like uh, in Denver and um, in the Colorado area in general, they're really expanding on uh, bike lanes around the community and making that a, a focal point didn't come out of nowhere it was people got involved people got active people started lobbying for that at their local government and changes happened and now we're getting bike lanes all over the city so people can ride around i ride i like to ride my bike over to play basketball it's all about reaching out to your local politicians understand their understanding their viewpoints and voting vote in the primaries vote in the general see who has the environment environmental policies that align with your goals vote with your head and vote with your heart when you see a lot of these environmental demonstrations that are very dramatic and, and crazy, I mean, there's definitely like a role that they can serve. But 
if you are seeing the responses to it and you're seeing people be like, oh my gosh, like that was crazy and unnecessary and stuff like that. A lot of times I see climate denialists point to these demonstrations where they throw tomato soup on a Van Gogh and say, see, climate activists are crazy. A problem with that kind of activism and the way that it doesn't build connections, it denies the other side, the common humanity that they deserve. I am tired of seeing these environmentalists who are brilliant, amazing, wonderful people get caught up in these really dramatic demonstrations and then be called crazy because that is the kind of response that people are going to give these stunts that are pulled. And I feel like that's really sad because they really could be doing more with their time and energy. Yeah. I also read a research paper on this today and it discussed how it's really hard to gauge the impact of this because it does bring the issues up to the forefront, make it very media heavy and draws a lot of attention and eyes, but they find that Mm -hmm. it damages the approval of these groups and the um, overall environmental movement and hurts them. Like you were saying, we don't want that. We want them to feel motivated to get involved, feel like they're joining a group that means something, not a group that's just going to go out and do stunts and be sort of irritating. I think a lot about my activism with animals and how that lens has really played into my climate activism because climate change is something that makes people uncomfortable. So is animal rights. You know, both of those things are important to me and I think generally should be important to most people because they go hand in hand. But I see a lot of people who are animal liberation activists pull these insane stunts that get people saying, oh my gosh, yeah, vegans are crazy. And I'm like, well, some of us are, but like not all of us are. And I feel like the most effective activism that I've seen on both the side of like animal liberation and also on the side of climate is just when you're talking to someone about what matters to them and connecting that to climate change. When I talk to my uncle who doesn't believe in climate change about how much he loves fishing and how he's noticed how much harder it is to go fishing in the last five years compared to 10, 20 years ago, I feel like that kind of you know heart-to-heart conversation where both of you guys are present in the moment, listening to each other, really is the kind of activism that makes the biggest difference. Yeah. Speak to people uh, at their locality or their, their niche. Have them uh, understand how it's going to impact them personally, how it's impacting their hobbies. Everyone has to find their own individual way they want to get involved and the level they want to be involved in. And it's finding that right group that you want to be with that is the difficult part but it's worth it and then you feel satisfied and motivated to do more absolutely so to kind of like look back at this episode we want to remind people of the few points that we've made clear in this episode first of all lead with your identity figure out who you are what you have to offer and what you can do lean into that and realize that it doesn't have to be big doesn't have to be glamorous whatever you do actually matters. And then avoid self-congratulatory kind of messaging. Angry rallies and social media, all that stuff is really fun and engaging, but it doesn't always do something significant. Your actions don't have to be Instagrammable. And then what Zach has talked about, act locally and think globally. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about that before as we close up? Yeah, just find a way to get involved with your local government, with your local groups and help your local environment and clean up where you are. You can think about the entire world and climate change, but your action at the local level is going to be much more impactful than your general action 
on a global level. On a global level, we need to think about getting our politicians involved, trying to vote with who will best align with our environmental goals. Yeah, absolutely. And then for conservatives, try to have meaningful conversations with your conservative lawmakers about climate change and energy solutions and things that you value. Every conversation I've had with a lawmaker about climate change has been a little bit scary at first, but then it was fine. I know that those kinds of conversations can be kind of intimidating, but please, for the sake of the planet, give them a phone call. You can always look up your senator's phone number, their office's phone number, and there are people there who are paid to listen to you and to pass those messages along to the senator. And do your best to connect with them in a way that is meaningful and isn't just there for kind of self-congratulatory messaging. I think that's all we had for this week's episode, right, Zach? Yep, that's all I got. Well, awesome. Please email us with your thoughts. We kind of screwed up on an episode and we had to take some criticism. And that kind of criticism is really valuable to us because it can help us be better people. Please email us with your thoughts. Talk to us about how you feel about things at info at greenteaparty.com. And thank you for listening to Green Tea Party Radio and a very special thank you for all our patrons. We could not do this without you. And so if you're interested in getting early access to episodes as well as Green Tea Party Radio merch, check us out at greenteapartyradio.com. If you have feedback, tell us what's on your mind and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And just so you know, this is a passion project. We don't have any organizational sponsor. We're just building a movement. We want the world to know that young conservatives have important things to say about climate change. And if you want to hear our show on your college radio station, email us at info at greenteapartyradio.com and give us the details about your campus and your radio station. The email again is info at greenteapartyradio.com. We will reach out and get onto your radio station. That would be awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everyone. We love you very much. (laughs) And we appreciate the feedback you guys give us and everything you guys do for us. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye, Zach. Bye. Bye, Anna. Hi, I'm Drew Irely. I am the Conservative Outreach Director for Citizens Climate Lobby. My path to being a conservative, uh, concerned about climate action, was definitely a long one. Growing up, it was a very rural area. You had to be into the outdoors or you were going to be bored out of your mind. So I grew up doing a lot of hunting, fishing. I was the only the, the second person on my mom's side to graduate high school. I graduated June 6th, 05, at like 7.30 at night, and by 8 o'clock the next morning, I was on my way to basic training on my 17th birthday. I had deployments to Iraq, Afghanistan, rotations through Cuba. It was during this time that I really became concerned with energy infrastructure, but I wasn't ready to take action yet. It took the birth of a 10-pound baby girl with cheeks so big she couldn't open her eyes to really get me to open mine. My life just went from the next 50 years to the next 75. What if she's the veteran that follows in my footsteps and she's in the VA suffering from exposure? You know, what if she's on a fossil fuel route and you know, subject to an IED? How will I be able to look at her in the eye and say, I knew that this could be an issue that you would have to face and I chose to do nothing about it. It's why we fight wars. You know, we fight them now so our kids don't have to. I am fighting climate change now, so my daughters don't have to. 
A lot of people, you know, they say conservatives don't care about climate change, and you know, it's not true at all. We just want sensible policies that don't destroy the economy in trying to find a solution. We have that here at Citizens Climate Lobby. There are a lot of leadership opportunities for conservatives, especially in red states and districts with Republican congressional offices. Conservatives can also join CCL's Conservative Caucus. It's a national group of Republicans and other right-of-center individuals where conservatives can get together and regularly meet online and have strictly conservative-based conversations. Sharing our personal story is how we make a difference. Conservative and concerned about climate change? You're not alone. My name is Chelsea Henderson, and I host RepublicEN.org's EcoRight Speaks, bringing you weekly guest interviews and stories. John Kasich, Christine Todd Whitman, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, meteorologist Marshall Shepard. Each week, we have a conversation with an EcoRight leader bringing you information, opinions, personal stories, and much, much more. Download, listen, subscribe. And join us each week on the EcoRight Speaks. Hi, I'm Chelsea Henderson, host of the EcoRight Speaks podcast. In a world where conservative voices rarely meet environmental discussions, Green Tea Party Radio is a breath of fresh air. With your hosts, Hannah, Zach, and Katie, get ready for insightful dialogues that break the mold. As conservatives, we're passionate about the environment, the free market, and our faith. But finding our place in this conversation isn't always easy, and that's why we're here. Join us every week as we explore how conservative values intersect with tackling climate change, promoting energy independence, and creating new clean energy sector jobs. Green Tea Party Radio is more than a show. It's a movement that connects young American conservatives aged 16 to 25. We're not just discussing problems, we're providing solutions. So if you're tired of the same old narratives, it's time to embrace something different. Pour the tea, ignite the conversation, and join us on a journey of discovery and action. Don't miss Green Tea Party Radio, coming soon to a college radio station near you. Or subscribe to the Green Tea Party Radio podcast. Check out the Green Tea Party Radio Patreon group for early access, special content, merch, and more. Visit greenteapartyradio.com. Together, let's reshape the future. Woohoo!